man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm gonna get that gun of mine, and I'm gonna change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Hey everyone, how's it going? Welcome to a new episode of Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Way, and we're in the booth with a couple of folks. First off, we have film reviews editor at The Wrap, Alonzo Duralde. Alonzo, what's good? Oh, I'll tell you what's good, Ify, is uh, a very Brady renovation that's been going on HGTV. Ooh. I am not an HGTV watcher. I live in an apartment. I don't have a garden or my own home. I'm never going to build a deck. This is not my channel. But the very Brady renovation has been this almost like there's a there are graduate theses waiting to be written about this because the premise of the show is okay. So you know in the Brady Bunch, there's the exterior of the house uh, that is an actual house in the valley. It went up for sale last year, like Lance Bass wanted to buy it. HGTV outbid everybody. They bought the house with the genius idea of converting the inside to look exactly like the sets of the Brady house from the old Brady Bunch show. Of course, quickly you come to realize this is a ranch-style house, but somehow the Brady house has a staircase and an attic in it. Um, so they have to, like, you know, kind of fake things and build things in back, and there's extensions and all this whatever, but they got to keep the front of it looking the way that's, that it's supposed to. But they are creating this house that we all think we know, but that has never existed. You know, it's always been sets. It's always been this fake thing on the Paramount lot. So to watch the six original Brady kids walk into these rooms that look exactly like these rooms where they spent their childhoods, only now there's a ceiling. <laughs> like, it's just, it's crazy, and it's brilliant, and I can't get enough of it. Ooh. So I am an HGTV watcher, oh. like Fixer Upper, The Property Brothers, sure. And every time an ad comes on for the Brady renovation, I'm like, who the shit is this for? <laughs> Me. And now I know. Yeah, yeah. And now I, I found know. it. I find Maureen McCormick classy on Twitter. I don't know if you follow her. <laughs> yeah. I, I will start. Okay, just FYI. Oh, wow. Well, I'll have to smash that follow as well. Uh, we are also joined by producer and film festivals programmer, Dre Clark. What's good? <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for falling off that cliff. Um, my what's good is strange. It's So, you know the TIL on Twitter? Today I learned. Mm -hmm. um, this is more of a recently I learned, but it's such a strange and charming piece of the world that I'm sharing it. So, you guys, I don't know if you know this, but Quarks have six parts to them. There's right, they're very six strange. Six different kinds of quarks, qu quarks, and they call the types of them are called flavors, which I already love. Those six flavors are top and bottom, up and down, and strange and charm. Those are the names of two quarks, strange and charm. It's the craziest thing to me. It's it like is, a Wonka machine made science. It is a Wonka <laughs> machine made science. I'm obsessed with the idea of it it almost makes me want to learn more about you know i know i know this for the stupidest reason you knew that already in, I knew and that you too. didn't tell me <laughs> in the well, you, of course lewis knew it in, in the watchman comic book in, in when they're at the place where 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 john osterman who later becomes dr manhattan is doing all the sciencey stuff in yes. the desert there's a there's a bulletin board of photos and the header is at play amidst the strangeness and charm no yes 
And then I later I found I'd like I saw some annotated thing like strangers. I love it so much. Well, I feel like the word quark was also like derived from a T. S. Eliot poem, right? Right. I'm looking at Lewis, who's all now the the master of this. But anyway, that was the sort of the T. I. L. And I think it's so cool. I want to name a production company Strange and Charm. Lewis will also tell you about Quark, the short-lived sitcom with Alan Arkin. Or oh, I won't actually. (laughs) That's news to me. Richard Benjamin. Richard Benjamin actually. Look at you keeping yourself relevant. Space garbage man in the 1970s. It was was short but sweet. I'm I'm the kind of person that feels thoroughly schooled by Richard Benjamin trivia, so I feel (laughs) emasculated and small. (laughs) We'll get to he and she later. Uh, We are also that third voice you are hearing besides our own is a co-host on Crooked Media's Keep It podcast. That is Louis Vertel. How you doing? What's good? I am deeply thrilled to be here. Uh, Alonzo and I go back, frankly, too many years now. It's, it's, it's true. straight up a decade. It, yeah. Uh, Dre least. is the queen. Iffy, our relationship begins here. Yeah, yeah. I'm ready. Um, here's what's good. I, for uh, Keep It, I had to buy uh, Demi Moore's memoir recently, Ooh. and I bought it the day before, uh, you know, I read it the night before, so I had to go to Barnes & Noble in the morning. Have you done that recently? <laughs> no. What a shocking life. <laughs> First of all, you go into Barnes & Noble and they just have a whole floor of westerns and European movies for some reason. Like, you know how you can buy movies there and they're too expensive? Right. That's still going on. It's still, <laughs> it's, it's still 2004. The people who buy CDs at Starbucks are also buying DVDs at yes. Barnes & Noble. Uh, you, FYE, that store, it's still happening <laughs> in this world. Um, and so I like, just like walked around the place. There's like nobody there. It's this wonderland of pine green and section headings called things like Christian inspiration. I just remember once upon a time Barnes & Noble feeling like a a majestic place you wanted to spend all your time and it really sucked me back in like rabbit hole style. Uh, I mean that in the Lewis Carroll sense, not the Nicole Kidman sense. Yes. (laughs) Um, So I was freed by that and of course had like a coffee drink, like a a soy latte, like something that an evil white woman named Bianca would have. I went and got one. Guys, You're... going to Barnes & Noble on a weekday morning, I'm telling oh, you. All right. Yeah, I like yeah. that. Iffy, yeah. what's, what's good? good? Oh, man, what's up? Good. <laughs> oh, yeah, I like that. I like the way that sounds. I like and that I'm, I'm the to... only one up here at the top of this cliff. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> Yo, uh, yeah, we had TwitchCon uh, this past weekend, which was a convention for Twitch. Uh, where uh, Twitch, if you don't know, is a site where people watch other people play video games live on the internet. It's expanded out to cooking streams, art streams. It's fun to see, you know, the face, uh, the faces behind the screen names. Uh, but also, I did the season finale of my sneaker show on Twitch, uh, Fresh Doc, and got laced up by Puma. They gave me uh, clothes. You got uh, laced up, you guys. Yeah, laced up. Uh, so wait, you know. there's a Twitch channel for people putting on shoes? No, no, it's a Twitch. Uh, it's the Twitch's official channel. Uh. And they see me talking about shoes. Ah, okay. Yeah. Got it. Um, and uh, I bet Pornhub has a channel of people putting uh, on shoes. Uh, I yes. mean, they, Pornhub has a li- wide variety. A few of anime fans used to sneak uh, Dragon Ball Z movies on Pornhub because, you know, they weren't <laughs> No one quick. was looking? Yeah, no one was looking. So, I, <laughs> you know, it was, it was cool because as a bit, I, I was like adding, making a playlist of all those movies and be, giving people my Pornhub account uh, to be like, check it out. And then they would see DBZ movies. But then, of course, one time I forgot that I was still logged in and everyone got to see <laughs> exactly <laughs> what I was doing. Really <laughs> <laughs> Very <laughs> Ted Cruz that, that is a different kind of open. When people know exactly what porn you're yeah. looking for, that's... 
too much. I mean, you know, you, you don't need That's to know that. That's a new level of intimacy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it changes uh, depending on the mood uh, and how late it is. <laughs> <laughs> so today's show, we're talking about Judy. Uh, would you call it a biopic? Would you call it a... I'd yeah. call it a biopic. Oh my gosh. I'd say biopic. Uh, yeah. Uh, team a magical biopic. realism biopic. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, which was uh, marvelous, and we'll get into that. And we, of course, have the Who Shot line. And, of, as always, staff picks. But first, it's time for our new segment called Itadick, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? Each of us will read a new segment and answer the question, Is This Important? And Do I Care? And uh, Oh, I have oh, something yeah. for us to discuss. Oh, yeah. So the new Natalie Portman film, Lucy in the Sky, came out this week. And as you all know, people are asking the question... Where are the diapers? Indeed. Indeed. The question of the hour. Now, the film is based on the real-life story of NASA astronaut Lisa Nowak, who famously drove from Houston to Orlando in order to confront her former lover's new lover. I can't believe you guys made me say lover twice. She was equipped with, get it, get this on your shopping list, latex gloves, a black wig, a BB gun, pepper spray, and was allegedly wearing a NASA-grade adult diaper to cut down on bathroom breaks. However, in the new film, there is no diaper to be found. Nowak in real life denies she wore a diaper for the trip. Director Noah Hawley said, at the end of the day, her punishment was she lost the thing she cared about the most, which is she was kicked out of NASA. We don't need to also punish her by humiliating her. Portman had this to say, it's part of an astronaut's life. They wear diapers the whole time because that's what you do in space. It's not like it would be an unusual choice. I have a lot to say about her having to say that. It seems a lot nuttier if that's not something you do every day. But I guess I still have a diaper movie in my future to fulfill everyone's expectations. <laughs> Bless her heart. Is this important? Do you care? Yeah, I'm going to smash that no button for this one. I feel. I wonder if it's only with female-driven things that uh, we get very pedantic about dumb bullshit that doesn't matter. Because remember when... Uh, Insecure first came out, people were like, where are the condoms? He was like, you're not asking that when James Bond is shooting up the club, uh, which is a euphemism for... Uh, <laughs> his work. Uh, his yes. work. Uh, but like, you know, like, it's it, this seems like, yeah, you, you can assume there's a diaper, you know? We're not... No one was like, at Astro, where, I don't see any scenes where they're pooping up the suits. Well, I, I don't know. I'm kind of of two minds here because it seems like the idea that you're going to get all clutch pearl about the diaper when you are making a movie that is entirely about this woman's travails, mm -hmm. you know, and and her, you know, this, this awful incident in her life. It's like, okay, so you cut off the one thing that is the shorthand by which everyone knows this story, <laughs> but you're still digging right into the rest of it. Yeah. You know, it's also worth pointing out this movie is like currently in the mid twenties on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, so, no. you know, oh, I actually didn't know it was doing that poorly. Yeah. So take take for that what you will. Um, I care because I want to know how you can possibly justify this from a filmmaker's point of view. Like, what well, what are what are the other interesting details? If if you're not going <laughs> to give me the diaper, give me the thing that's more interesting. I don't know if I've heard it yet. All right, y'all. This one is uh, kind of special to me because it's been 25 years since Beverly Hills Cop 3. But <laughs> we all remember where we were when we yeah, saw yeah, Beverly Hills, Beverly Hills, Hills Cop, 3. Cop 3. 
But Eddie Murphy is working on a fourth sequel to the franchise. In a recent interview with Collider, Murphy confirmed that the movie he's going to do after coming to America 2 will be Beverly Hills Cop 4. What a oh, sentence. Wow. What oh, a sentence. Uh, you know, uh, and then after that, uh, the clumps too. Uh, <laughs> three. three uh, oh, uh, sh- yep. <laughs> there was a second one. Uh, there have been several attempts to get this movie off the ground. At one point, there was talk of a TV. At another point, Brett Ratner was attached to make a sequel, but it looks like it's finally happened. Is this important? Do you care? I'm thinking about Boomerang too. First of all, that's oh, where I. That's where there I've you gone. go. Let's yeah. make that happen. Yeah. I- I have such a weird, and this has come up before because, you know, uh, uh, Ricky is a big fan of the original Beverly Hills Cop, and I understand the influence of that movie and of Eddie Murphy, but, like, my go-to thought of that movie is always, like, crazily homophobic and AIDS jokes. Yeah. So, like, I want to know what Beverly Hills Cop 4 in a 21st century milieu is going to be like before I get too excited about it. I know it's it's very it's it's very curious. I mean, it's you know it's nice that he's like, all right, I'm a do the apology tour of like, yep, I knew uh, Raw was problematic, but also it's like this isn't like I've thought about I I thought about Beverly Hills Cops uh, as a reboot, and I want to see a new one. Like I don't need to see like I don't need to see Eddie as the Beverly Hills Cop, so that doesn't excite me. Uh, and like I want to see. Someone like the thing that's kind of like tricky for me when you have these like coming to America 2 and Beverly Hills Cop 2 is like I want Eddie to like pause and like let me see like other filmmakers like do something with him like let me see like I want that kind of like Mickey Rourke and the wrestler and you had like what what other filmmakers do to revitalize you know older actors like I like seeing that well he has the what's Dolomite I say Dolomite Mm -hmm. is my name yeah which actually dropped today on Netflix yeah it doesn't look uh, too bad I've seen just a Uh, little the reviews have been great I'm very excited to see it super excited uh, but that I think will do what you hopefully, I'm sure his team is hoping we'll yeah. do what yeah. you're talking about. It's also this doesn't say who the creative would be behind. Yeah, um, Beverly Hills Cop Four coming to America too is with Craig Brewer, which I think would be interesting. Who did like Hustle and Flow okay. and has a much different uh, perspective than Brett Ratner. So, uh, you know, yeah. that there's an idea of if you're doing something and going back to Axel Foley as a character. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, look, Bill Condon is who directed him to his Oscar nomination in Dreamgirl. So, like, you're right. right. I, uh, you know... We... So you want to see Bill Condon do Beverly Kills? <laughs> yes, exactly. No, what I'm saying, though, is I think I think you're right. If you can... It, it, once you become a certain level of icon, like, I know there was a discussion for a while where, like, Meryl Streep never works with great directors, you know, and I think there are some screen icons who would do well to like let's see what happens if I go with these, you know, like I always point to Catherine Deneuve. She is always working with the hot, young, new daring, you know, like batshit crazy French auteur and doing, you know, whatever he asks of her and, um, you know and, and, and I mean like Adam Sandler you know, in between shit movies will go do like, you know, a Noah Baumbach the or Safety, the Safdie brothers yeah. or whatever so yeah, it's like, you're Eddie Murphy Go work with like I I would love to see him work with and they they don't even I mean like you know yeah Craig Brewer like yes there are all these great current black filmmakers it would be great to see him work with but like with other like you know funny bold you know current funny comedy geniuses and see what y'all come up with. By the way, aren't we though now mad at Meryl Streep for being in the new Steven Soderbergh movie? Because by the way, now no one cares. Oh God. <laughs> 
That that movie is a, is a hot mess. <laughs> <laughs> Meryl's only partially the problem with oh, it. <laughs> and so that sounds like a good time to take a break. But when we come back, we'll be talking about Judy just as soon as we hear from another one of the shows on Maximum Fun. Unless you wish you could trade in your own family for the Pearsons, Inside Pop is definitely not for you. Sean, that's a little extreme and also not quite true. Okay, Amita, how about Inside Pop is the podcast for people who love and appreciate the best pop culture has to offer? Oh, much better. In every episode, we interview the people who create the culture you crave. Past interviews include the production designer for Fargo and Tony DeCray from the DreamWorks Story Department. You'll also get the very best pop culture recommendations in our Big Sell segment. Plus, the opinions of two TV producers who are pop culture obsessives and actually do wish Sterling K. Brown was our cousin. Kissing cousins, that is. Listen to Inside Pop every other Wednesday on the Maximum Fun Podcast Network. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ifiwadiwe, and in the studio with me are... Drea Clark. Louis Fertel. Alonzo Duraldi. And today, we're talking about Judy. Louis, since you're our guest, would you please give us a quick synopsis of the film? Fine. <laughs> uh, Judy is, in effect, a biopic of the last year or so of Judy Garland's life. There's a framework... Uh, involving early coaching she had in her career on the set of The Wizard of Oz, but it's mainly about her the last year of her life when she moved to London and was doing these kind of smaller shows. And she, it's really kind of a vignette-driven movie where she meets up with certain fans, and then we check back on her parenting. But it's not really, if you've ever seen Me and My Shadows, the old Judy Davis mm. uh uh, biopic of Judy Garland. It's not really about her volatility. It's more about like the, the tenderness underneath her and like that quality, that ineffable quality that people still love about her all these years later. So it's not really, I would say, a takedown in any way, even though there are tragic moments for her character. Uh, and of course, it stars Renee Zellweger, who her first, uh, she was also in What If on Netflix this year, and What If We Never Spoke of That Again. How about that? <laughs> oh my Ooh. God. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> works that in. <laughs> yes, but she is a shoe in for an Oscar nomination, and probably the win at this point. I can't think of who would really be competing with yeah. her. Uh, how about that? Uh, you know, I, somebody was, when when this was coming up right, right after Telluride in Toronto, I think it was Mark Harris who kind of pointed out, well, let's not forget all of these amazing lead female performances from the beginning of the year. You know, yeah, when he uh -huh. talked about, like, uh, you know, Julianne Moore and Gloria Bell. That would be I would say the main competition, but nobody's talking about Gloria Bell anymore. Well, no, and uh, like for me, it's Mary Kay Place and Diana. Nobody saw that right. movie, so what are you going to do? No, I think Zellweger is amazing here, and and I have to say, as somebody who has not been a giant Renee Zellweger fan, I by the end of it, I was like, okay, I'm in. I'm I. You have converted me. Like I, you are killing this. It's in a different category from any other performance she's given. I yeah. mean, Gone is any sense of quirk or. Uh, uh, really a romantic quality. You know, just mm. like these things that we associate with Renee Zellweger, uh, there's, in the way she recreates, there's a lot of performances in the movie, obviously. In the way she recreates certain mannerisms that Judy Garland has, it's, uh, uh, I've said this before, but it's like, it almost is beyond entertainment. It's like this jolt of 
recognition and uh, 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 it's, it's almost sad how accurate it is in certain points, but it is also thrilling. Uh, but it's all, it's an out-of-body experience seeing somebody that you thought you knew, Renee Zellweger, do this thing that you did not think she was physically capable of doing, physically. Yeah, I think that just speaking on the performance of it, it's nice to have the memory of when she was in Chicago to compare it against. Because mm. normally you'd just be thinking of other Renee Zellweger acting performances. But I've seen her sing and dance before, and it is. She has the the... Like Judy Garland, especially older, has this hunch. I mean, she always did. I think there was that thing of Louis B. Mayer, who we can definitely talk about, yes. um, who called her like my little hunchback or something. But there's this whole sort of curved posture and how she handles the microphone cord. It's so second nature and it's not like anything she did in Chicago. It is very Judy. I think that for me, the distancing of this, because I think this, I overall really enjoyed this film and it was really taken and also am such a sucker that I had remembered hearing someone be like, oh, bring tissues. And then I could sense I was like 10, 15 minutes from the end. I'm like, tissues. And then was this asshole crying at the end? Yes, she was. <laughs> yes, she was. Fine. And I even knew, I knew what they were going to do and I still <laughs> fell for it. But there's something about um, the shape of it that's hard because it's trying to give you um and she's an addict and i have a lot of problem watching addicts on screen like we talked about that in a star is born as well but she is so fully living an addict's life that that was more for me that was equally distancing to the kind of vignette style as i'm just watching this woman making like this what's clearly been a lifetime of bad decisions i'm like oh don't don't take that pill oh don't that guy's terrible like yeah. and and i know i'm meant to feel that way so i credit the filmmaking but it also kind of blocked me off from it if that makes any yeah, sense sure i i will say i i had the biggest arc in seeing this film like i said i like i kind of read the synopsis before i went to see it when i was looking so times and i was like oh uh dorothy and i did not know dorothy had a huge career beyond that yes. because uh i'm uncultured uh but <laughs> like i i was and then also i was coming in kind of jaded because i really uh am jaded with old hollywood movies because i think it's a con to not hire people of color actors because they're like period pieces and old hollywood movies are a con <laughs> and we're coming off of uh once upon a time in hollywood and like within the like first like few uh, just the like with the kids like uh before we even get to see her in london but i'm like wrapped in because i was like oh no i want to cherish this woman and, and and i need everything to go right and uh you know i love a mom just trying to protect her kids um <laughs> albeit badly um but yeah it was real good and th that's the thing is like as an actor Myself, yes. uh, an actor who's uh, acted alongside such talent as Timothy Chalamet. Uh, <laughs> you know, you've exhibited your craft next to some. Yeah. Ah, um, but yet, yeah, like, like even without knowing who Judy Garland was, like I was able to pick up on like choices she was making as an actress, and it was very impressive just from an actor nerd standpoint. And then by once we got to the singing because I can't sing so any 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 triple threats or double threats out there just automatically sweep me off my feet and then like 
that era of singing is so specific uh, <laughs> that like it's just so grand and I, I was wrapped in once again I was along for the ride I was in old Hollywood and I was like yeah baby well <laughs> if, if you like Zellweger singing I can't wait for you to hear Judy, Judy live Garland. at Carnegie Hall Ooh. it will blow yeah. your fucking mind it's one of the best albums ever um, <sighs> but I will say and we should certainly talk about the fact that Zellweger is doing her own singing and I, there have been some quarters where like oh it takes me out of the movie and well, you know, look, nobody sings like Judy Garland, right? right. You know, like the, the and and to expect that I think is insane. But I think what you get with Zellweger singing is acting. Yeah, it's, it is acting singing. It is it is character singing. It is the singing of that comes out of the woman that she has been creating for you on the screen. And I think to transition from her performing to then opening her mouth and having Judy Garland's voice coming out would have been more jarring. Mm-hmm. Right? Kind no, there. I was thinking of. Uh, on, on Broadway, the beautiful musical about Carol King mm-hmm. was starring Jesse Mueller. Now, sh- she's obviously like an extremely good singer, but like she conveys the character of Carol King more than she conveys her voice at all. Sure. And that keeps me in it. For me, that's it's the same thing with Renee Zellweger. Like, cl- obviously, she doesn't sound like Judy Garland, but I like that about the movie. I think it'd be st- like if, if it were like in Sweet Dreams, Jessica Lange sure, lip syncs, yeah. right? Who wants to see that? Yeah. It, it looks bizarre to me, you know? Well, yeah. she does a good job. She doesn't sound like her, but also one of the elements of this story is we're getting it's Judy Garland at the end of her career she doesn't know it's also the end of her life but so one of her constant worries is if she will even have her voice so there's it's sort of cooked into the narrative that renee has like an out of oh i can't sound like full judy because even she was fading at this point this was like eight years after the carnegie hall recording um can i say uh, separate from that, but did anyone else clock? And and I really wondered by this choice. So the framing device you were talking about of like, you know, she starts in LA, she's dragging her kids around and it's like the opposite of that scene that opens Crazy Rich Agents where she goes in and she's like um, at the hotel and they're sort of dismissive of her and then she gets to be flashy and in your face and in this one instead, like, they're terrible to her and she has to slink away and you're like, oh, this is much less satisfying. <laughs> but one of my main things when I was watching it when I realized when she died her Lorna Luff was 17 like it's set up in this movie like her kids her younger kids it's Lorna and Joey are like 10 and six, 7 or something mm. yeah I was Liza like, Minnelli was nominated for an Oscar that year yeah and, mm. and they showed her at her proper age yeah. she was like 22 or 23 but Lorna like she and Lorna are only like five years apart from each other anyway so obviously it was like giving you this like uh, but the whole yeah I've spoken to Judeologists about this oh really this movie apparently gets everything wrong factually speaking but I but but they they but even even the nitpickers will say that emotionally it does get a lot no I know why they did it but it's always strange to me to make such a point of like I want to recreate this exact time in someone's life I will be adjusting the age of your kids (laughs) by 10 years for dramatic to purposes. garner more sympathy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. No, sorry. I was going to say, yeah, because now it makes more sense why the kids are like, yeah, mom, we want to stay with dad. Uh, <laughs> I, gr- very I graduated good. five months ago, yeah. so. Yeah. I'm a doctor. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and I think like this, there there are, like the scenes with the men are the least interesting in this movie, with, with the men she's married to. Yes. yes. So like you've got Rufus Sewell popping up as Sid Love. He was fantastic. Uh, and then Finn Whitrock as as the, the, the sketchy last husband, Mickey Deans, who the whole time I watched him, like, this is, he's one of those five actors who 
looks like Finn Wittrock. And yeah, they're like, right. oh, it's Finn Wittrock. Oh, they got the one. Okay, well, that's nice. Bless his um, attractive heart. But I thought the scenes with the children, even if the children were completely made up for this, were quite lovely and, and yeah. brought out a, a quality of Judy that I think was important to share. And I love the scene with the gay fans, oh, which is, I'm I sure, completely wept, made up. Yeah, wept at that wept yeah that, that, yeah that felt like an honest like nod of like <laughs> we got you yeah game yeah. recognized game no because yeah. like that was that was a big chunk of her fan base and she knew it and you know she would make acknowledgement of it periodically so yeah i thought that was again that's the kind of thing you do in a biopic where like it may not be technically true sure but it's capturing a thing yeah. that yeah. is true about her life yeah those moments i always find within biopics it was more the like the changing, like the whole, yeah. uh, if, especially since the motivation was, oh, I need to get my kids back. How will they grow without yeah. me? And I'm like, well, they were pretty grown. Yeah, they they, they point, did but... it already. <laughs> and I, she had, sure. I was going to say, she apparently went out to like gay events and gay clothes with people like George Cukor to the chagrin of the studio and stuff. Yeah. So it's oh, like wow, some okay. version of this probably happened. Sure. Yeah. 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 One of the things they get into is her relationship with Louis B. Mayer, who, if you don't know, like, as the head of MGM, and he, how he looked at actors was always fascinating. Like, he was of the belief, largely because the world backed him up, that you built stars from the ground up. Like, they needed to be somewhat attractive, and then the studio could do the rest. And I think that it's one of those cases, there's just a couple of scenes with him, and in that it completely conveys what she went through for 30 years of her career yes. in terms of being, you know, having this father figure who is threatening. And also she alluded in her like later biography, autobiography, that he molested her as well. And there's this small moment in this yeah, where yeah. he like touches mm -hmm. just her clavicle or something. Yeah. But it was one of those, The I thought the flashbacks were well handled that to me, and I'm interested maybe for Iffy too, because without knowing her background as much, I thought it conveyed oh, so many layers of what she went through with the studio. Oh, yeah. It gave me everything uh, I needed to know without having to see it all. Like, especially, yeah, to go back to that scene specifically, I think even just the subtlety of him closing those barn doors and, like, being like, all right, I'm going to talk to you. And then, like, and it's, and it's crazy to it also just, like, I think this is also within the performance and the writing of just the language he used that seemed very like it really kind of conveyed i think how abusers with power do it where it's like they're almost trying to make it seem like they're doing you a favor and that it's justified and like you remember the agreement right and all this and then he says some sl slick shit like oh if you want to swim you can come back to my beach house and that was perfect it lets you everything oh this guy's a creep who creeps on young women yeah there's and, some there's gaslighting going yeah, on there for exactly. sure and and you know it, it does sort of bring up the whole thing of like this is where the pills came from mm -hmm. you know yeah. as a teenager you know busby berkeley didn't think she was thin enough so it was like that that was the diet pills and then the sleeping pills and then the you know the cycle that never really ended there yeah and i think also it's interesting because you know you know you talk about old hollywood being a lie and this is a movie where the flashback to like mgm to the golden mgm her glory days as judy even those sucked yeah, yeah. right right, right. <laughs> oh yeah though i'm i'm actually way more sympathetic about those scenes hearing you describe them because they you're right they do set in motion her life and you can see how the things that she's being taught specifically by Louis B. Mayer are irreversible. But also, it is kind of heavy-handed. I don't know. I mean, like, there were times it reminded me of... Do you remember the flashbacks in Saving Mr. Banks? 
Oh. Yeah, where I was just like, like everything's the Colin sepia toned, yeah. and we're all evil back here, and no one's feeling. <laughs> That's funny because honestly, the weirdest comparison that I made. There's a moment when he's talking down to her, and he's the actor's much bigger than this young girl, and he's like. You're a fat ankled gum tooth yeah. girl from the middle of nowhere. And it reminded me <laughs> of Hannibal Lecter talking to Clarice. Oh, right. I'm like, yeah. yeah, from a small town. <laughs> do you hear the lambs, Clarice? With like, your cheap perfume. Exactly. Yeah, right. I knew you do the speech I was talking about. But yeah. Your cheap I think, shoes. Yes. Yeah, mm-hmm. exa- that exact moment. Well, I think we said almost all there is to say. <laughs> And it's time to say our reviews. Uh, the way we do reviews on the show is we say either you screen it, stream it, or skip it. Uh, I'll let you start, Drea, because uh, I'm staring at you. Oh, yeah. I would say screen it. I thought I had a really good time with this film. Like, again, sort of uh, moments of being at odds with what I historically remembered, but also there were some really lovely emotional beats and a fabulous wardrobe if you've ever been interested mm-hmm. in seeing a really beautiful brocade metallic <laughs> suit. They recreate the Trevia pants suit that she stole uh, off the set of Valley of the Dolls. Like the whole thing, right? <laughs> like before before she was fired for Valley of the Dolls. Yes, like it's, it's yeah, I enjoyed it. Ooh, yeah, this might get, uh, what is it, best wardrobe, do you think? Or costume. Oh, I was like, best wardrobe. My, Do we we have still a... have a Downton Abbey movie, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. So you never that's know. True. Yeah. And, yeah, that's and, true. And, and, and if we're if we're gonna award somebody for like slavishly copying things, Rocket Man is just <laughs> oh, it's just right there. Yeah. <laughs> I hate that that movie ends with "I'm still standing." Come oh, on, first thoughts. Barf. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> Don't get me started. <laughs> what about you, Lewis? What is your review? Definitely screen it. I would actually say, looking at. Um, all the, in general, what reviews have given it. I would say this movie is actually somewhat underrated as a film. Everybody agrees that Renee Zellweger is transcendent, whatever. But like, we should establish when she is performing as Judy Garland, this becomes two different movies. It just, it, it, it's so shocking. It's so clutch your seat. It's painful, but also brilliant. And the rest of the movie has such surprising small moments and like her, the way she connects with other characters, I found very real. So and I think that's worth, worth watching on a big screen also. Yeah, no, I, I second that uh, uh, for sure. For screened it, and definitely, I, I think yeah, there's this, there's there's a narrative that this movie is just the sort of like the velvet on which the you know the the Z- Renee Zellweger bauble sits, and and I think there is more going on. There is there are some fun details. I love the fact that she goes shopping on Carnaby Street. Yes, you mm-hmm. know, like in the mid in the height of like the mod uh, yeah. era of London. Um, you know, just. Uh, the, the the Jesse Buckley moments are so nice. The moments with the kids. I think there's a lot to like here, but it but first and foremost, of course, it's the it's all about that Zellweger performance. You know, yeah, I thought this movie uh, had lots of fun, touching, relatable moments. Like the kids, as a parent, I was like, yeah, I feel that. You know, uh, seeing that last kind of skeevy husband, I was like, I hate him, but how do I <laughs> sign up for that? You know, maybe you know, yes. J Lo Lee's a rod, I can be that to her. Uh, Halle Berry, I can be that to you. I'll go around. Let's get to a Halle Berry movie theater, baby. I'm going to New York oh to God. talk to the folks. Don't worry, I'll be right back. Uh, I think <laughs> that eventually became the jerry lewis movie theaters which was a real thing <laughs> wow yeah. oh my gosh yeah i re- they, when they were doing it you know that was the funny thing when you mentioned like ser- trying to search things for spoilers i was like ah, do i want to search to see if that this works <laughs> out or not but i never trusted him i never trust 
Finwit Rock. You yeah, should yeah. never trust it. <laughs> <laughs> yes, never. But yeah, that, sorry, that's definitely a screen for me. I think, and I think, yeah, this is. It was a beautiful movie to watch, even though it was in a theater with a guy who's breathing and crying loudly. Uh, but you know, I'm gonna give you space to do that. I was just mad. And we'll be right back after we hear from another show for Maximum Fun. Going into a bullseye interview, I know that it's somebody who does amazing work, but it's also a real conversation, so I don't know where it's headed. I think you just you just clarified something for me that's never been really clear before. This is the most serious I've ever been in my life. You've made me completely serious. <laughs> I feel like I'm in therapy. <laughs> bullseye, creators you know, creators you need to know. Find it at MaximumFun.org or wherever you get podcasts. Welcome back to Who Shot Ya? I'm your host, Ify Wadiway. In the studio with me are... Alonzo Duralde. Louis Fertel. Drea Clark. And now it's time to answer a call from the Who Shot line. Casey, play that call! Hi, my name is Ruben from Bakersfield, and I had a question. Um, since Criterion is going to uh, fulfill Ricky's wish of putting out uh, When We Were Kings later this fall... I wanted to know what movie you guys would all like to see in the Criterion Collection and what kind of bonus stuff you would like to see with it, too. All right. Love the show. Thank you. Bye. Ooh, Ooh Ruben, thank you, Ruben. Mine, it came to mind right away, and I told you guys I like research. So if I find out this is actually already there, I want um, royalties. <laughs> I want like back residuals because I still think it's my idea. Irma Vep, you guys. Mm. 1996, Olivier Asayas. Asayas. If you look at Irma Vep and then you look at his current stuff that's finally brought him to larger, like the Clouds of San Mar- Maria, the uh, per- personal movie. shopper. Like, Summer hours. He does this beautiful work with female um, protagonists often playing actresses. There's some sort of nod to filmmaking process within it. And Irma Vep is the weirdest origin point that makes all the sense in the world and I think more people should see it. It stars Maggie Chung as herself yes. um, and it was filmed two years before she ended up marrying Olivier and which is also funny and it's so she plays a Hong Kong um, female action star who's shooting a French film with this neurotic French director played v- by Jean-Pierre Leo. Yeah, who's very who, thinly veiled. Yeah, who, who was the Truffaut stand-in in 400 Blows and all those exactly. the, the Antoine Duanel films. So there's layers upon no, layers. No, that's what I mean. On. And this one I think people should see it anyway, but in terms of Criterion Collection, yes. the idea of the uh, director's commentary you could get and how it tra- tracks it traces his arc but also this film is doing so much work in terms of french historical filmmaking like it's a it's a recreation of a 1915 film yes. um by ooh, uh, oh it's, uh, it's like le vampire right yeah just look it up it's yeah. a it's a recreation <laughs> and then it also so it has all of in it also heavily takes from Truffaut's Day for Night. Like, there's all of these things in there. And there's all this stuff with, like, Hong Kong action being sort of nodded to. I'm like, bring in RZA to do some conversations about this. <laughs> Ooh, bring in yes. some classist 
like film theorists with French New Wave, not like there's just so much going on in Irma Vep. And it's Maggie Chung in this like black leather cat suit, which I know I finally just caught Iffy's attention. Yeah, I'm, I'm logged <laughs> yeah. in now. Yeah. I'm jacked in the system and I'm on the campaign. <laughs> Sign me up. Louis Fouillard. Louis the Fouillard. Fouillard. Yeah, yes. there's, a, there's a lot going on in that movie. And um, yeah, it's one of the best movies about filmmaking I think I've ever For sure. seen. But it's also batshit crazy. I'm, this is another one of those things where I'm pretty sure it's not in the Criterion Collection. But you know, when you think of you know, a Friday night with your friends and you're sitting around, you want to watch something and you want to have fun. Routinely, I mean, specifically to gay men, like you think of campy films or like wild comedies or things you can laugh at. My friends and I like to sit and watch dramas where we're like screaming at protagonists, (laughs) being mad at a mother, you know, like for like, I like sitting around and watching a movie like Autumn Sonata, you know, getting into like, that is on the Criterion Collection. Yes, right. Uh, Like Liv Allman and, you know, uh, Ingrid Ingrid Bergman together. But, in that vein, a movie that I like watching with my friends is Come Back to the Five and Dime, Jimmy Dean. Jimmy oh, Dean. delicious. Which is a Robert Altman movie. Mm-hmm. I would probably say most people would rank it about his 17th best, I would say. <laughs> well, it's this very specific period of his career where he was basically just doing these filmed plays. Like yes. Streamers and yeah. Secret Honor. And yeah. And like Autumn Sonata, it feels like a filmed play. Uh, and I am sympathetic to that kind of movie. I like a movie like Fences, where I'm just watching the camera zoom in on one person, think about the past. <laughs> And then monologue about the past. Uh, Osage County couldn't go far enough for you. Yes, precisely. You are exactly correct. Um, So, but this movie is about a whole bunch of women who are in a bar in the 50s in the South. And it's real, like, tumbleweedy in a last picture show way. And then they come back to that bar years later and they reflect on their times there and what they thought they knew. And one character in particular, played by the immortal Sandy Dennis, is deeply, deeply (laughs) disconnected from reality. And thinks she had an affair with James Dean. During the shooting of Giants. Correct. And, uh, well, uh, reality comes and bites you hard. And there's other people in this. Uh, it's an all-star cast. It's Cher's first real movie outside of Chastity. Yeah. Um, that's, and, and Good Times. Yes. Uh, so if I had a... If I had to, but the the features on this, it would be Cher just watching her own performance and saying, "Oh no!" Just to yes! get the even though she is fabulous in this yes. movie. And when she won her Oscar for Moonstruck, she motioned to Meryl Streep, who's in the audience, and said, "You were with me in my first movie," referring to Silkwood. It's like we're oh, just pretending this didn't happen, honey. Because <laughs> because Altman cast her in the play, which he directed first, yes. and took a lot of flag for it, and then she got really good reviews for it, and then had her in the movies. So yes, that ooh erasure. It's Don't a, like that. An amazing performance. Oh, she's probably wondering if she could turn back time. You think no. she knows? Oh, no. Yeah. Oh, no. <laughs> True Cher stan over yeah. here. I can, I can hear it. Yes. Karen, I'm, I'm, I'm a Twitter stan. I'm Twitter error Cher stan. Oh, totally fair. Yeah. Totally oh, fair. Stuff. But, uh, 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 Ka- uh, sorry. Karen Black is in this with a fabulous performance. It's an early performance for Kathy Bates. Baby Kathy Bates is in this Ooh. movie. It's from 1982, right? Yeah. So uh, if you haven't seen this, it's the kind of movie where if I hear it screening somewhere, I have to go see it because I have this condition where I think I'll never be able to see it on a DVD <laughs> or something. And it also co-stars Mark Patton, famously from Nightmare on Elm Street 2, who is the subject of a new documentary called Scream Queen. Right. But like that, th- he was supposed to be a big thing after Jimmy Dean, and then he did Nightmare 2 and was branded gay, and that was it. What a Glenn Scarpelli arc for him. Totally. Yes. Mm. Yeah, 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 me. I don't this think is a perfect I, segue I, for you. I know. Yeah, no, I, I, I don't even know if I like have any movies that I'm like standing that aren't in the Criteria Correction collection. 
or is any collection like you know like a Godzilla would have been it um but they oh, they're about to put out a big yeah, ass I remember Godzilla that box. when Very we excited. talked about yeah. it uh you know like you know you could get um kids out on dvd right you know mm-hmm. kids you can get you know uh hackers like th- that's my era of film <laughs> hackers and like what that's I, I can we start uh change.org <laughs> to get a criterion collection for hackers because <laughs> I, I remember Under after watching name. hackers i wanted to be a hacker so bad i signed up to a hacker forum and like i was trying to learn how to hack and i feel like that's the number one way to get hacked is to say <laughs> well, hey guys i'm trying to learn how to hack <laughs> You signing up for a hackers forum made it more authentic than the hacking in the entirety of the movie of hackers. hackers. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They have the fast typing thing where they're like, oh. the faster you type, the more you hack. Um, I'm hacking as hard as I can. Yeah, yeah. Oh. I can't hack any I faster. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I do have one movie that is not out, that's still shockingly not out on DVD, and Lewis will appreciate this one. Uh, it is the great. Uh, Play It As It Lays. Oh, yes. Oh, here uh, we go. uh, Frank Perry's adaptation of the novel by Joan Didion starring the luminescent uh, Tuesday Weld, one of the best Anthony Perkins performances. Um... It is a and sleaziest. Oh, and... sli- oh God! Such a it's, it's such a grimy movie about Hollywood in the early 1970s, but also lyrical at the same time. And uh, I think like Joan Didion's still alive, Tuesday Weld's still alive. <gasps> True. Those two could have a hell of a sit down and a commentary Ooh. track on this thing. And... I will drive them. I would like to be Joan Didion and Tuesday Weld's driver <laughs> for like a long weekend. <laughs> Yeah, take him out to Palm Springs yes. and like record this thing. But yeah, that's a movie that I think is great that is not currently available. Heaven knows why. Uh, but but should I think Criterion could could do it up. Oh, the other commentary would be uh, Bruce LeBruce, who is a huge fan of that movie. And in fact, I think uh, Super 8 and a Half in some ways is a very loose remake of Play It As It Lays. All right. Well, thank you to everyone who has called in. The number for the Who Shot line is WSY 803-1664. Be like Ruben. Keep it short. (laughs) And now it's time for staff picks. It could be any movie, in theaters, streaming, what have you. Lewis, why don't you start us off? Sorry, I forget what I was going to say. Let me think of something. Uh, All right, Dre, you want to take it? Pretty Poisons. I'm ready. So the film that I am going to recommend as a uh, that I'm going to pick as a staff member for my staff pick is a little film called The Death of Dick Long. Mm. It was directed, written and directed by Daniel Scheinert, who is one half of the Daniels, who did Swiss Army Man and also do a ton of great music video work. Um, they are also directing currently on On Becoming a God in. Central Florida? Can you believe yes. I haven't seen that show yet? I oh, stand God, it's her. so good. Yeah. Ugh, I'm loving what? it. What? I know. I've, again, I've, I would have imagined you like the secreted that show into existence. I'm shocked. Um, so The Death of Dick Long premiered at Sundance this year. And Daniel Scheinert, who is the creator behind it, is from Alabama and has a very conflicted relationship with his home roots. Of There's a lot of positive and family there. And there's a lot of like... Alabama decisions and um, I think that he's made something that's as weird and unexpected as Swiss Army Man but also has the same level of kind of heart and um, sincerity he, he's someone who I find um, both of the Daniels have a great grasp of 
modern vulnerability in um, American men, and I think they, they convey them in really interesting ways. So The Death of Dick Long, it's currently in a number of theaters, but um, it will if it's not already, it'll also be out digitally soon. I'm back and I have something. <laughs> All <laughs> yes. right, Lewis, what you got? Uh, I mentioned earlier I had to buy uh, Demi Moore's memoir, and so that got me thinking about her had to. career. I know, yes, they really had to... Twist your arm. Exactly, exactly, and I went for it. Um, I was thinking what my favorite movie of hers is, and I think the answer is Margin Call. You ever seen Margin Ooh. Call? With uh, Zachary Quinto and yes. Kevin Spacey, I'm very sorry. But uh, it's basically a movie about one night in a giant, disgusting uh, white-collar firm before like the economic collapse of 2008. Uh, first of all, it's a movie like what I was talking about before, Autumn Sonata or... Come back to the Vimedine, and Jimmy Dean, Jimmy Dean, where like the camera seems to zoom in on specific people who each get a moment to hyperventilate about the collapse <laughs> one at a time. But uh, specifically, what I love about this movie, and Demi is fine in it, I am one. Of the, I am obsessed with Jeremy Irons. Are you? How do you feel? Uh, you know, look, uh, uh, the PBS Brideshead Revisited was a key mm. like proto gay text for me as a junior high <laughs> closet case. So, sure, yes. Okay, very not? good. I would describe him as the male Kate Blanchett in that there is a regality about him yes. that feels almost unreal or Alien. campy. But then yeah. it's so, because it's so that and so committed to being that, it's transcendent. Yeah. Like, this person walks into the room and you just hear violins. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> it's that kind of vibe. Somebody who just naturally would have a fiddle, that kind of thing. <laughs> but he has the specific moment sort of um, crystallizing the gravity of what's happening, putting it into words, being severe as hell. And, uh, is that the, I want you to explain it to me like I'm yes, a six-year-old? Yes, 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 yes. And then he says, I can I can tell when the music's about to stop. Yes, just the grimness, that professorial grimness. So I recommend just watching that scene, if anything, but that movie too. Yeah, yeah. J.C. J. Chandor, and, until a triple whatever, like he was on a roll there. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think he's awesome. Uh, mine is uh, a, a movie that I genuinely love, but also a, 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 a plug for a thing I have coming up. Uh, Linda Ronstadt, The Sound of My Voice, is in theaters right now. It's a documentary about this incredible American singer who we don't talk about enough. Um, totally. I think that there are people who take themselves out of the limelight for whatever reason, in Ronsat's case, she has Parkinson's and so uh, is not able to perform at the level that she once did. And so, you know, because she is no longer in the spotlight, we don't, like, fucking genuflect to her incredible career. Not only her extraordinary, like, pop hits and stuff like, you know, Blue Bayou and, and You're No Good, but this is a woman who at the height of her career is like, eh, fuck it, I'm going to go do uh, Pirates of Penzance with Joe Papp and sing Operetta and nailed it. And then she's like, eh, fuck it, I'm going to do some albums with Dolly Parton and Emily Harris and nailed it. And then I was like, eh, I'm going to go do some standards with Nelson Riddle in the mid 80s and fucking nailed it. And then did like an entire song of like Mexican, uh, you know, traditional music and nailed it. Like, she's just extraordinary. And the movie kind of captures this whole arc of her career and her life and, you know, the dating Jerry Brown stuff. And, and you know, it, it's just really fascinating. Um, it is directed by uh, Robert Epstein and Jeffrey Friedman. 
who are documentary legends. Uh, uh, Epstein did uh, uh, The Times of Harvey Milk. Epstein and Friedman together did uh, The Celluloid Closet and uh, Common Thread Stories from the Quilt and Paragraph 175. Uh, I'm going to be having a conversation with them on Monday the 7th Ooh. at the Arclight Hollywood, uh, sponsored by the International Documentary Association and Outfest. Uh, so go to either of those websites and find out how to get tickets. But these guys make great films, and I am super excited to just get to geek out with them for 90 minutes and talk about their their craft and their practice and all the all that fun documentary stuff. If I may, I think Linda Ronstadt reacted to fame the way Joni Mitchell did, which is she got extremely famous and was ex- like at, at the top of her craft like unanimously everyone agreed, but she refused to be bored by fame and also just was disillusioned with being the object of people's effect. She's like, no, I'm going to continue doing what I want even harder now. Yeah. You know? Now, yeah. There, is that, there is that power of like, I can do whatever I want and I'm going to do whatever I want, no matter how many people tell me that it's not a marketable idea. Yeah, uh-huh. you know? and, and yeah, she's that kind of artist. Ooh. You're either going to do fame harder or you're going to hack harder. It's yeah. one or the <laughs> right. other. Yeah. Um, so yeah, since it's October, I'm going to try and... You know, uh, suggest a spooky movie, even though I hate them. Uh, everyone, say this is we're firmly in your milieu here. Yeah, yeah. Right? <laughs> uh, but we're gonna start with a really bad one because revisiting it uh, made it super fun, and I think everyone should watch it and go what? Uh, which is why I'm suggesting Candyman. Now, I will say, Tony Todd crushes the shit. Yeah. There's a lot of great performances. The story, the writing, the portrayal of projects, not as great. Uh, where it goes. You'll never know. Uh, So prepare for that. But also on top of that, I want to plug a good friend of mine. He's been talking about it on Instagram. He's about to get uh, in a film that everyone's going to be able to check out soon. Please see The King with uh, Timothy Chalamet. Um, He's confirmed to me that he's not showing that thing in him, uh, even though there's rumors. Uh, He asked why I asked. I was like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, you should expect that being friends with me uh, but yeah uh, I haven't seen any any early reviews out for it yet they haven't uh, bitch I reviewed it out of Venice oh, oh my god. god here we and go posted, with the Venice and again. I posted it on our Facebook oh page yeah, and I you, wrote, you and I wrote <laughs> there's this crazy moment in the movie where Timothy looks right at the camera and says I just want you all to know if he is my yeah, best I, friend yeah. in the I world I now remember that post because I laughed out loud when I read it yeah uh, that's why you should know there were reviews, not because I went to Venice. Yeah. Jesus. Oh <laughs> did you know that? Uh, did you know he went to Venice? Uh, he yeah. so rarely brings it up. <laughs> I was in New York and I saw Oklahoma, and Timothy Chalamet was a few seats over, and that's a that's a play where you can see the people around you. Yeah. I could not stop. I was like, "What does Timmy think, though? <laughs> does Tim? Yeah, is Timmy responding to? I can't say no. Yeah." I adore oh. him. Just oh. Timmy think of Judd Fry. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> now it's time for our five star reviews. Uh, if you leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts, we'll read it on air. Uh, and this one comes from Rel Brown. I refuse this podcast to not have a five star review and comment weekly, and I will make it my business to review. Alonzo, Drea, and Ify brings me back every time with the hot reviews and hot takes. Fridays are a little more lit, as the youth and if he says. When I see that new episode has posted on my feed, keep up the great work. Uh, you're more important to people that you've never met than you know. Oh, that is super sweet. Oh, Terrell. I truly appreciate that. Um, truly. That, that, that's real sweet. 
Uh, thank you so much for joining us, Lewis. Oh, Where I can had a people blast. find you? Unfortunately, I still live on Twitter, at Lewis Vertel. <laughs> and if you're not following Lewis on Twitter, you're twatting wrong, yeah. because he is the Boswell of oh. 280 characters. Uh, I've, I've been, uh, like, for instance, I, I couldn't do the Emmys recently. I was working, like, tweet through it, and I missed it terribly. I'm like, this is this is what my life is about, tweeting through award shows. Let me do it. <laughs> you were, you were yeah. getting that the, the, the yes, twitch. Like, right. eh, I have to say things about that dress. <laughs> oh, man. I, I, I do love award season because of that because everyone's live tweet and also I love that I'm doing this podcast now because I go to uh, Demi Adujiwebe's uh, Oscar party it's very competitive I've always never gotten close to winning and I feel like this you, oh I, I am so good at awards yeah, okay. I, I'm, I'm terrible I'm, but I'm, no, I literally make, you. make dumb money on, like, right, I'm I got so you. ready to collude yeah. and beat the shit out of Demi Adijuibe and be the superior Nigerian uh, that's what we want for you <laughs> yeah yeah you know that's all we want uh, <laughs> make your parents proud yeah exactly <laughs> If it, did you beat Dimi in the Oscar? In the Oscar, do not come to dinner if you do not beat Dimi. That's that's the conversation we have after every Oscars. If you have a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Who Shot Your Pot. Our Facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Who Shot Your Podcast, or send us an email at Who Shot You at MaximumFun.org. Our producer is Casey Thick Daddy O'Brien. Mm. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher, and this is a production of Max. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.